0: You're building a character, you're building it with a tool based on, I mean, there's so many aspects to it. I would say it's very ignorant to go into an acting career thinking you don't need to learn the basics or, you know, a technique on how you're going to get to the truth of character and make that audience believe.
1: Welcome to episode 67 of the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where this week we'll be sharing the stories and struggles of an actor who has taken advantage of his job as a waiter and his passion to help him climb the ladder of success in the city that never sleeps, New York City. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I'm your co-host, Michael Lutheran, and here at Hollywood Hustle, we're continuing our tour of the Big Apple as Daniel sits down this week with the talented actor and just wonderful human being, Jason Altman. Does his name ring a bell? Well, for all of our Netflix bingers out there, it should, because he is Herman himself from the hit series Orange is the New Black. We were contacted by Jason's team just a couple weeks ago, in fact, and given my current survival job schedule, I wasn't able to make this interview, so you guys are going to be hanging out with my brother and your host of Hollywood Hustle, Daniel Tuttle. Full transparency, when it comes to today's audio, you may notice an ever-so-slight delay in Daniel's audio. Since there was an interview scheduled last minute and conducted via Google Hangouts, Daniel did not have a lot of time to get the kinks out of the computer chat recording software. And as most podcasters can understand, Hangout and Skype recording can be tricky. Unfortunately, I wasn't there to let Daniel know that his audio was directed into the video chat itself. So this is why, at times, it may sound like there's a little bit of a delay on his voice from time to time. But... Don't let that distract you from this amazing interview you're about to hear. Today in Act 1, you're going to hear about Jason's upbringing, what led him to pursue the path of an actor, and how networking has been crucial to his career. Before there was Herman in Orange is the New Black, there were years spent on stages, in acting classes, and waiting tables in New York City, all informing Jason's technique and passion. Make sure to stick around after the interview as I check in with Daniel to discuss updates on our journeys, as well as to reflect on today's interview. Now, let the hustle begin.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited today to have a fantastic actor on with us. You may have seen him recently in Orange is the New Black as Herman. He has also been in several other productions, such as uh, Luke Cage, Shades of Blue, Madame Secretary, Power, The Blacklist, and so many others. He's also been off-Broadway. Off he lives in New York. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jason Altman. Jason, hey. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing, sir?
0: Good. Thank you for having me on.
2: Thanks for coming on. We're so excited to talk to you. My pleasure. So I just want to start right at the beginning. You know, you're from New York. What part of New York you're from? What was your family like growing up? Do you have brothers or sisters? That kind of thing.
0: Yes, I, uh, I'm from Belmore, which is a uh, town on the south shore of Long Island in the suburbs of New York City. About a forty-five-minute train ride into Penn Station uh, in Midtown Manhattan. Um, I had a typical suburban family upbringing. Uh, I was uh, um, a very spoiled young boy. (laughs) Um, I wasn't privileged, but uh, you know, my father had a successful uh, jewelry store in Midtown Manhattan for decades, uh, up until the mid-80s when I was, a, uh, he lost uh, the store around seven years old during the, the recession in the mid-80s, and he went into um, construction and home improvements and whatnot, and uh, he was very, my father was a very creative man as far as building and constructing things, and I uh, was a mid- middle child. Um, my sister is a few years older than me, and I have a younger brother a few years younger, and we had a uh, typical suburban uh lifestyle um we went to the park or around the corner and uh basically uh it was a, it was a it was a great childhood and uh, a lot of performing in my childhood as well uh with my siblings for our parents and their friends
2: <laughs> i totally understand um what was your What do you feel you gained from your mother and your father, personality-wise?
0: I think definitely from my father, I I gained a sense of um, hard work and, you know, continuing to persevere uh, when things aren't going so well. Uh, I learned a lot from when he lost his jewelry business and went into home improvements. It was basically uh, uh, a do-over for his life. He had to start from scratch, build up a whole new business, uh, right around uh, close to the same age I am now, uh, and uh, it was it was a big learning. Uh, lesson for me because I was a very spoiled young boy. And uh, when your parents lose their business, uh, you know, you don't become so spoiled anymore when you can't have everything you get, you want.
2: (laughs) Totally understand
0: that. And as far as my mom, I learned um, just uh, how to be a good person, uh, strong morals and ethics and how to treat people the way you want to be treated. I had a great upbringing and uh, I'm so grateful to them and They are amazing and they still are. They're great. They're great. (laughs) I'm
2: glad they haven't changed.
0: (laughs) So, uh,
2: this is kind of a two part question. What is your first memory of using your imagination? And then, what's your first memory of film and television? Uh,
0: Using my imagination, I would say, as I mentioned, my. My siblings and I, we would put on, yeah, we would put on shows uh, from the time we were all very young uh, for our parents. And we would dress up and it was so fun. And also uh, when I was very young, I would say in kindergarten or first grade, I played Bob Cratchit in a Christmas carol, I believe. I think it was first grade. So that was my first foray into uh, Creatively performing, as well as you know, doing it at home with Mm -hmm. my siblings. Now, as far as um, creative performances that I remember, I would say definitely Saturday Saturday morning cartoons. Woody Woodpecker,
2: yeah,
0: (laughs) uh, was a big one for me when I was like four or five years old. Um, I saw a couple of Michael J. Fox movies when I was five or six. I think it was Teen Wolf and Back to the Future were. Very early on in my life. Um, WWF Wrestling. Yeah, I got it.
2: that's right. I was just now, watching uh, a little wrestling before we started.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I was very upset when they changed it. I got confused when they changed it to WWE. <laughs> it, it gets
2: even more confusing when you watch old videos and they blur out all the WWF stuff.
0: Oh, I used to rent all those uh, classic videos from Mm -hmm. the library and i love that song they hadn't been uh that that montage song they play yeah Uh, (laughs) but yeah so i would say that was the first uh experiences with creativity
2: okay do you feel uh that you knew this is what i wanted to do right away or was there something else you had aspirations to do
0: No, you know, as I mentioned, I had a typical suburban um, upbringing. So I actually, when I was doing it as a kid, when I was performing in plays as a kid and doing shows and all that, I I never really thought, oh, I want to do this as my life's work, as as something I can make a living at. So actually, uh, after I got into high school, I kind of went away from that. I got into sports, sports. The uh, theater department in high school was all musicals. And I wasn't really a singer so much after I got into high school. So I really didn't think about it as something, as something I wanted to do with my life until after high school. Um, Yeah. I always thought uh, most kids around my neighborhood thought go to college, get a degree and uh, become a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman or a banker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was something... It, it had not hit me until um, later, and, uh, until after high school. I never really thought about that. Okay.
2: So, you talked about uh, playing you know, um, uh, Tiny Tim and Bob Cratchit. What were your f- first roles that introduced you into theater?
0: Uh, professionally or just in my life? Just in your life. In my life, it was that. It was Bob Cratchit in... In uh, a Christmas Carol in first grade, it was uh, I played Oliver in a summer camp production. um, I think when I was about eleven or twelve years old,
2: you were nominated for a Tony for that, right? (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) uh, I didn't even know what a Tony was at that point. (laughs) Just for some reason, maybe my mom got me and just threw me into the plays, and I kind of accepted it Mm -hmm. and I went with it. And luckily, I was always cast as the lead role. Uh, Back then, when I was when I was preteen, <laughs>
2: right. I remember when I first found out about the Tonys. I was like, "There's awards for theater, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like Oscars, Tonys, Emmys." I really it was something that was kind of playing in the background when my parents would watch, but I never really paid attention to it.
2: Do you, Do you pay attention to it now, or do, are you still not a big awards watcher?
0: I I, I watch them. I kind of depends on which award show you're talking about. I definitely love the SAG Awards because, you know, it's the Actors' Union. Mm -hmm. Um, The Oscars, um, you know, they have all the uh, technical awards. Um, So, you know, I watch them. I I, I tape I kind of fast-forward through the commercials. The Emmys are kind of getting bigger and bigger as TV is getting bigger.
2: Yeah, absolutely, especially with all the different services that are eligible now.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. It's this, uh, this uh, content boom. We're in. <laughs> so, as you
2: said, you're born and raised in New York. I love New York. I know a ton of people that love New York. What was it like growing up in the city that never sleeps?
0: Some of my earliest memories, uh, one of my favorite memories was taking the train in with my father to his jewelry store when I was really young, like Five, six, seven years old, I would tag along with him, and he would, you know, keep me out of school one or two days, and I would watch him work in his jewelry store, and we would take the train into Penn Station, and um, I would watch. His jewelry makers work on, you know, really craftily create these watches or work or, or just uh, fix broken uh, jewelry. It, that was really uh, an early memory of mine. And uh, my parents, my mom would take me to a Broadway plays uh, when I was younger as well. I saw Les Miserables really early and Peter Pan and uh, Miss Saigon. Those are some of my earlier memories of New York City as it is.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, nice so as you grew up you started getting more into more the theater bug what was your first transition into I want to make this a career and what were the steps you took to do that
0: well I was kind of um I was it was about a year after high school I went to University of Hartford for a year and I had kind of no direction really I kept I still had the mindset of going into business. Uh, actually, my, my freshman year roommate was an actor at the time, and I was like, maybe I'll be your agent. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I'd be a businessman. But then, you know, I didn't do so great at Hartford the second semester because I pledged a fraternity and I partied really hard. So I, I didn't go back to Hartford. and I I was kind of stuck with no direction and you know i i was just thinking about things i what can i be good at and i just went back to my child and i was like i could be an actor i you know i was always cast easily as the lead and i just jumped right into it literally the next day i looked up like how to be an actor you know how to become an actor how to get how do i get on this t- how do i get on a tv show right and took headshots very soon after that and I started reading books about the acting business.
2: Any particular started... books you'd suggest others read?
0: Um, Yeah, I'm not sure if it was updated, but I, the first book I read about how to become an actor was Acting as a Business mm. by the author Brian O'Neill, O-N-E-I-L-L. And it was a real, uh, I learned a lot from that book about how to go about getting auditions and Submitting for auditions and where I could go get headshots and learning about trying to get an agent and meeting the people who cast the shows and whatnot.
2: Nice. So you read the books, you Googled, I want to be an actor. Uh, You got the headshots. And then did you go for representation or did you go immediately to the smaller playhouses?
0: Well, it's funny that you say that because when I first started, there was no such thing as Google. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it, was just, it was just before. There was really no way – the only way I was able to go about it was, uh, you know, I, I was a waiter at, a, at a, a Long Island restaurant and one of the waitresses there was a, um, a Rockette. Oh. And I told her, I'm like, I think I want to get into acting. and She's like, go to the train station and pick up a, a newspaper called Backstage. Ah, so I went, yes. picked up the hard copy newspaper backstage and I read that. What's thing.
2: a newspaper?
0: <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> so I read that thing from front to back and it had, you know, articles on how to get started and advertisements for, for headshots and casting notices. And I got headshots taken. And literally a couple of days later, I was offered to be featured extra on a show on Comedy Central called Upright Citizens Brigade. Ah, uh, UCB. Yes, yes. I had no idea about the comedy school, but I, mm. you know, I looked up the the show on Comedy Central and I was thrown into the mix, just doing these little sketches with uh, Amy Poehler and her, her team. And That's it was
2: exciting.
0: A, it was an interesting first experience. I was 20 years old and, you know, uh, it was, I know idea how to you know go about anything and it was it was a good learning experience what do you feel
2: you you took away from that time
0: um i saw how a professional set works um mostly overall um i saw these genius comics working you know how do they how they set up a scene and um yeah mostly just uh just being on a professional set taught me the most. And it helped me um, really propel into doing doing more as far as independent short films and uh, so forth so far and so forth, uh, which actually led to my first play as a professional actor um, because I submitted for... I thought I was submitting for a short film through backstage. I went to the audition... You know, like you got it. We start rehearsing for the play next week. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa this is a play. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, okay, I've done plays before, and that's how I got my first professional play. Thinking it was a short film. <laughs> it was like a bait and switch. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was kind of a learning on the go process in the beginning. So,
2: how is your preparation for auditions and your? Preparation for performing changed over the last few years.
0: Well, yes. So in the beginning, when I didn't have any acting training, I wasn't, uh, I had no skills or technique. I kind of just was going on instinct, just learning the lines and going and doing it. Um, And I was pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, I did get some parts here and there before I ever trained as an actor professionally too. Um, However, as you asked, uh, over the last few years, actually over the last decade, things really changed in my preparation for auditions and characters after I trained uh, at the William Esper studio Uh, for three years. I really studied the Meisner technique really hard and I learned a whole two toolkit on building a character and getting to the real truth of the character. Uh, And so I think that after I spent those three years studying the Meisner technique, things really changed as far as the feedback I was receiving the the results of the work. And even at the auditions, I started like, like I had never said a word on television until just after I had graduated from the Aspera studio. It's funny. Cause I guess it just, added to my confidence as an actor. And I just started booking left and right little roles on television and films. And I, I you know, the the results really changed uh, as far as preparation goes into going into an audition and preparing for how, how I'm going to play this character.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, I want to go back. You said something really interesting that – taking these classes left you with a lot more confidence in your talent and in yourself. You know, I know a lot of people who who are very hesitant to spend the money on acting classes because they can cost so much. What would you say to those people on the importance of those classes and those workshops?
0: When I was 20, I jumped into it and, you know, there's always stories of actors who, go ahead and they succeed really early on based on their looks because they're a beautiful person and they have absolutely no training. You can make it in any field without learning about it, without a degree. If you just get, if you know, if you strike gold and you, you win the lottery, but uh, it's funny, I really had a, a bias and a judgment towards acting classes when I first started. So I uh I would say to someone who's getting into it, that is totally wrong. I uh, you could have a certain level level of talent, but like LeBron James is the most talented basketball player in the world, but he's still the the reason why he's so successful is because of how hard he works and the technical aspects of his game mm-hmm. that he works on. Um I would say that it gives you it it, it would it moulds whatever talent you have. Or if you don't have a lot of talent, it it certainly makes you a better actor if you have some sort of technique to to craft a character. You're you're building a character. You're building it with a toolkit mm-hmm. based on. Every, I mean, there's so many aspects to it, but I would say it's very um, ignorant to go into an acting career thinking you don't need to learn the basics or you know a technique on how you're going to get to the truth of a character and make that audience believe you.
2: I think it also gives you a different path to approach a character. So one per one character, let's say Biff from Death of a Salesman, you approach him using a different technique than let's say the a character from West Side Story. You're going to maybe use a different piece of your arsenal to make that character come alive.
0: Yes. I see what you're saying. A different aspect of your technique. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as there's many different techniques. I don't, you know, Absolutely. every, every actor has their own path to creating a character as best as they can, as truthfully as they can. Um, in my particular craft, uh, in my, my, I use the Meisner technique. So I, I, face every character the same exact way mm-hmm. through the toolkit that I learned. Uh, I craft each and every character the same exact way, mm-hmm. but I, there's different aspects as each character is different in what they want and what they're going after. And the truth to that character Absolutely, di- within that technique. Yes. Every, every actor has their own way of getting there. Mm-hmm. So to each their own with that.
2: My uh, producing partner who couldn't be here with us today, Michael, he just finished um, at a, a Meisner intensive class and it definitely helped him grow. But it was interesting following his journey through that class and the emotional um, uh, uh, fatigue it put on him in a lot of
0: times. It certainly is. Um when you're getting to the truth of a character, if you're playing something, an intense circumstance, you know it can get to you. It can wear on you. You know, you're in the beginning of the in a, in a true uh, two-year program, the true full program of miser The beginning is all about getting to know yourself and and just reacting off of the other person, and you know. Sometimes it's a, it could be a spiritual awakening. I mean, you know, there could be one moment in that class where you're doing a certain exercise that really affects you in a monumental way. I, I I remember we were doing a, um, an emotional preparation exercise in the beginning, the first year, I was having a little trouble with the, you know, a lot of people don't like the repetition part of Meisner where you're bouncing your reactions off of another person because they just think it's useless, which I totally disagree with. However, I was doing an emotional exercise, an emotional preparation exercise about losing my mother. And you just had to sit there outside of the room before you come in and your reaction to that circumstance and sit there and think as if this happened and, you know, it could be very, it could weigh on you heavily. But at the same time, you know, after you complete a, a Meisner training, I think if you if you get the right training, you could learn how to totally separate your yourself from that character. Right. Absolutely.
2: I- now, you've worked in several off-Broadway theaters, uh, the Cherry Lane Theater, Soho Playhouse, June Havoc Theater. Um, tell us about. The journey through those different theaters, working off Broadway uh, in New York—what was that like?
0: It was—it's—it was such an amazing uh, time for me. I worked in the theater constantly throughout my all of my twenties. Uh, as I mentioned, I got my first play thinking it was a film, and that was kind of—it was a good overall experience, just because it was like my first professional play. I got it done and it was a, it was a good play too. Um, That was off, 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 off Broadway in Jersey city. And then um, after that, I kept submitting to backstage and I thought, you know, I used that experience to do more plays. And then, you know, the people that I went to acting school with, we formed a theater company and we got our we submitted plays and we did a short play festival at the American theater of actors where I had done King Lear and the Backeye. They have four different theaters in that complex on 54th Street and 8th Avenue in the heart of the theater district. And um, I got such great experience learning the classics and learning history of theater. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts for one year and did a, a handful of plays there. Um, and my theater company had got gotten uh, a few plays into big th- uh, theater festivals one was the fringe festival which we did a, a successful run at the cherry lane theater of an original play called spite and then mm. we, i did a an independent theater festival called the midtown international theater festival i actually produced and starred in the play called prevailing winds at the june havoc theater these were all amazing experiences and i learned so much about you know i i learned i got such great experiences as an actor before I started training um, rigorously, and then even uh, applying my technique to characters after I had done training with Meisner. So I think the theater for me was just, it was just, a, and I also um, made a lot of industry contacts. I met agents and casting people from doing these plays, and just I, I created so many acting friendships that I still have maintained to this day. Uh, I actually will get into that later, but with, you know, I had done a lot of acting theater and training with actors that were on Orange is the New Black and uh, other shows that I worked with uh, that I worked on. So the theater overall was just an amazing and still is an amazing uh, platform for me.
2: So, if someone's thinking about entering the world of New York theater, what should their focus be on to succeed in that world?
0: I think it's a combination of learning a good acting technique that works for you as far as becoming a a great actor. And I also think it's um, a factor of learning uh, how to insinuate yourself into The theater community, uh, whether it's learning where the auditions are, going to equity principal auditions uh, at the equity building and going to open calls and getting yourself into either a theater company or just continue, you know, submitting to plays on playbill.com and backstage.com and getting yourself uh, really um, ingrained into the theater community. So, yeah, those two things. Absolutely. Learning where the opportunities are.
2: And if somebody is moving to New York, what do they need to survive living in New York?
0: <laughs> they need a lot of they need to find a side gig that will, you know, <laughs> make them be able to afford the rent, which is ridiculously high in What? Manhattan.
2: The rent high in New York?
0: <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you could get lucky with a good apartment in Queens or Brooklyn. You know for the for the space, um, but I would say get a good survival gig that gives you the flexibility to make it to auditions and make and be able to do a play f- that doesn't pay you mm-hmm. you know so if you're gonna do a play that doesn't pay you at night, you got to get a day job if you're gonna audition during the day, you got to get a night job it's it's a catch twenty two all around that's why show business is the craziest business agreed
2: now you said you were waiting tables when you kind of jumped into the theater and the acting. Where, did you do any other jobs to survive while you're pursuing this?
0: Nope. I've been waiting tables for nearly 20 years. Uh, it's a very flexible position to have. You know I would say if you if you become a waiter to you know support your acting career, do it at a restaurant that's flexible for your auditions and flexible for when you get a, a gig because, but it's, you know, it's, it's one of the more flexible things. I know a lot of people that temp or do real estate or, you know, uh, drive Uber car, you know, drive Ubers because they can make their own hours. I would say, uh, yeah, being a waiter, you know, what's funny about being a waiter. I I worked at a couple of high end restaurants in midtown Manhattan and served producers and, uh, A-list actors and, writers and directors that I've actually booked roles off of because they became regulars of mine. (laughs) You know, I'd say be a good waiter. So they think you're good at other things.
2: Maybe, maybe you can do this. Now I know some people, when they go to interview, especially at a restaurant or another job that may be really flexible when they ask them, you know, what are you doing here in LA or possibly New York? they're nervous about saying I'm an actor or I'm a writer because they don't want them to go like, Oh, they're going to want it off all the time. So how should someone approach that when asked that in an interview?
0: Well, I don't think, I think that if, if I, in my opinion, don't bring it up unless they ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell them you're, tell them you're available, fully available. <laughs> To, at, at the at the forefront um the thing is they need you you know i know there's an abundance of of actors in los angeles and new york but uh, in the end they need quality waiters at their restaurant to give good service yes they need dependable ones too so i think that. Just go in there, tell them you're fully available. Don't bring up the fact that you'll need off for certain things and you know get be be upfront with your availability. if you if you just want to work nights because you want off during a2 audition, then just say I'm only available nights and go mm-hmm. in there. you know be upfront about it. I think that's the best for the best way to go about it. right.
2: Now, you mentioned earlier making connections, meeting people, especially at your job, how do you go about networking when you're working and networking when you're on a play to not seem like, Hey, I want to use you to increase my career.
0: Well, I would, I, I would never, ever. um, I don't think when you first meet someone, you ask for anything. I think if you develop, I think if you develop a rapport with someone, um, then it, it might be okay to bring up the subject of something you might be interested in doing. I'll give you uh, an amazing example of, um, of that. I was a waiter at a high end uh, steakhouse in Mid-H- midtown Manhattan for years. And Mark Wahlberg became a regular of mine because he was shooting a movie and living at a hotel across the street. And he, uh, he, I, you know, in the back of my mind, of course, I know this is a person that could help me. He's a, he's a big time producer now. He's producing many different TV shows. You know, it didn't, I would never ever be like, Hey Mark, could you hook me up? You know, like (laughs) that, you know, he probably, you know, asked for me to not be his waiter. again. Could you please leave? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I, I think, you know, I, I never would have even asked him until I went home from work after serving him one day and I opened up you know, a newspaper and I saw my friend who I had studied with for years at acting school uh, in a picture with him in a scene in a film that he was doing called the other guys. And um, luckily enough, he came in the next day <laughs> and I Said to him, Hey, my friend, uh, so-and-so is working on your film with you. And he's like, Oh, I love her. You know, how do you know her? And we got into talking about how I was, in acting school with her and we've worked together so many times and that was that. And I didn't say anything again. And then the next time he came in, I served him again and they asked me, Oh, how's your friend? You know, how's your friend doing? I'm like, good, good. I told them that I served you, you know? And I was like, Yeah, so things are really – they're like, that's great. And so they started asking me about myself. And I said, yeah, I've been auditioning here and there. Actually, I've been trying to get in for Boardwalk Empire that he was producing. And he's like, I'll get you in for that. And he referred me to the casting director. Oh, that's awesome. And I spoke with her in her office. And it's so funny because I never even got an audition for the show she was casting, but in turn she liked me and she referred me to another casting director that she used to work with. And I auditioned for shows through her. And then the assistant of that casting director became the biggest Netflix casting director later on. And I auditioned for her and I booked roles. Like I got a role on Luke Cage because of that, like, because of a relationship that I formed years back with Mark Wahlberg. It, you know, I think that just build a rapport with people before you even ask. I don't think we should go ahead and ask back right. to your question. <laughs> it well, was a long story.
2: That brings up something important where in any Profession that you're engaging with as an actor casting office manager's office agent's offices you want to be professional and kind to everyone because you never know who that assistant's going to become and who that casting associate's going to become and yep. like you said that person became netflix's casting director and therefore you were great with them had a great relationship and boom you get roles
0: it's crazy how the world works. I think that, you know, not to be, you know, it sounds selfish, but be nice because, you know, you want people to be nice to you. It's, you know, it's, a, I think no matter what, just be nice no matter what.
2: Yeah. Oh, but don't, don't just be nice uh, to that person for the sake of jobs. Be a nice person. Right.
0: <laughs> exactly. But in the end, you know, just, you know, if you treat people with kindness and respect, they'll respect you back. Yeah.
2: Well, and I think don't let your frustration and struggle and anger over small things cause you to burn bridges that could help you later also.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I there's a cast there's a certain casting director who told an agent that I was working with that he doesn't believe I can do big roles even though I was doing a big role at the time on, you know, shooting uh, this role that I'm involved with now. Uh So I took it personally, but, you know, I'm not going to go ahead and um uh, I'm not going to go ahead and throw my relationship with that particular casting director away because he said that I'm going to make it my goal to prove him wrong, you know, and I'm going to send him tape of that big role that I did and, you know, <laughs> The, uh, it'll change his view on things yes it's it's hard not to harbor uh ill ill will when you know things are are pointed towards you that way absolutely Nice, so
2: as you grew up you started getting more into more the theater bug what was your first transition into i want to make this a career and what were the steps you took to do that
0: well i was kind of um i was it was about a year after high school i went to university of hartford for a year and i had kind of no direction really i kept I still had the mindset of going into business. Uh, actually, my my freshman year roommate was an actor at the time. And I was like, maybe I'll be your agent. <laughs> so I thought, you know, I'd be a businessman. But then, you know, I didn't do so great at Hartford the second semester because I pledged a fraternity and I partied really hard. So I, I didn't go back to Hartford. I, I was kind of stuck with no direction. And, you know, I, I was just thinking about things. I, what can I be good at? And I just went back to my child and I was like, I could be an actor. I, you know, I was always cast easily as the lead and I just jumped right into it. Literally the next day I looked up like how to be an actor, you know, how to become an actor. How to get, how do I get on this? How do I get on a TV show? Right. Took headshots very soon after that. And I started reading books about the acting business. Any particular started...
2: books you'd suggest others read?
0: Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it was updated, but I, the first book I read about how to become an actor was Acting as a Business mm. by the author Brian O'Neill. O-N-E-I-L-L. And it was a real, uh, I learned a lot from that book about how to go about getting auditions and Submitting for auditions and where I could go get headshots and learning about trying to get an agent and meeting the people who cast the shows and whatnot.
2: Nice. So you read the books, you Googled, I want to be an actor. Uh, You got the headshots. And then did you go for representation or did you go immediately to the smaller playhouses?
0: Well, it's funny that you say that, because when I first started, there was no such thing as Google. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it, was just, it was just before. There was really no way. The only way I was able to go about it was, uh, you know, I, I was a waiter at, a, at a, a Long Island restaurant, and one of the waitresses there was a, um, a Rockette. Oh. And I told her, I'm like, I think I want to get into acting. and She's like, go to the train station and pick up a, a newspaper called Backstage. Ah yes. Picked up the hard copy newspaper backstage, and I read that. What's a
2: newspaper? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So I read that thing from front to back, and it had you know articles on how to get started, and advertisements for for headshots and casting notices. And I got headshots taken, and literally a couple of days later, I was offered to be featured extra on a show on Comedy Central called Upright Citizens Brigade. Ah, UCB. Yes, yes. I had no idea about the comedy school, but I, Mm. you know, I looked up the the show on Comedy Central and I was thrown into the mix, just doing these little sketches with uh, Amy Poehler and her her team. That's exciting. It was an interesting first experience. I was 20 years old and, you know, uh, it was, I know, idea how to you know go about anything and it was it was a really good learning experience what do you feel you
2: took away from that time
0: um i saw how a professional set works um mostly overall um i saw these genius comics working you know how do they pro- how do they set up a scene and um yeah mostly just uh just being on a professional set taught me the most and it helped me, um, really propel into doing, doing more as far as independent short films and, uh, so forth, so far and so forth, uh, which actually led to my first play as a professional actor, um, because I submitted for, I thought I was submitting for a short film through backstage. I went to the audition you know, like you got it. We start rehearsing for the play next week. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa this is a play. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, okay, I've done plays before, and that's how I got my first professional play. Thinking it was a short film.
2: <laughs> it was like a bait and switch. Yeah, it was.
0: It was kind of a learning on the go process in the beginning. So,
2: if someone's thinking about entering the world of New York theater, what should their focus be on to succeed in that world?
0: I think it's a combination of learning a good acting technique that works for you as far as becoming a a great actor. And I also think it's um, a factor of learning uh, how to insinuate yourself into the theater community, uh, whether it's learning where the auditions are, going to equity principal auditions uh, at the equity building and going to open calls and getting yourself into either a theater company or just continue, you know, submitting to plays on playbill.com and backstage.com and getting yourself uh, really um, ingrained into the theater community. So, yeah, those two things. Absolutely. Learning where the opportunities are.
2: And if somebody is moving to New York, what do they need to survive living in
0: New York? (laughs) They need a lot of they need to find a side gig that will, you know, (laughs) make them be able to afford the rent, which is ridiculously high. in. What?
2: The rent high in New York?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, you could get lucky with a good apartment in Queens or Brooklyn you know, for the, for the space. Um, But I would say get a good survival gig that gives you the flexibility to make it to auditions and make, and be able to do a play that doesn't pay you, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to do a play that doesn't pay you at night, you got to get a day job. If you're going to audition during the day, you got to get a night job. It's, it's a catch 22 all around. That's why show business is the craziest business.
2: Agreed. Now you said you were waiting tables when you kind of jumped into the theater and the acting, did you do any other jobs to survive while you're pursuing this? Nope.
0: I've been waiting tables for nearly 20 years. Uh, it's a very flexible position to have. You know, I would say if you if you become a waiter to you know support your acting career, do it at a restaurant that's flexible for your auditions and flexible for when you get a, a gig because but it's you know it's it's one of the more flexible things i know a lot of people that temp or do real estate or you know uh drive uber car you know drive ubers because they can make their own hours i would say uh yeah being a waiter you know what's funny about being a waiter i I worked at a couple of high-end restaurants in midtown manhattan and served producers and uh a-list actors and writers and directors that i've actually booked roles off of because they became regulars of mine (laughs) you know i'd say be a good waiter so they think you're good at other things
2: maybe maybe you can do this now i know some people when they go to interview especially at a restaurant or another job that may be flexible when they ask them you know what are you doing here in la or possibly new york they're nervous about saying I'm an actor or I'm a writer because they don't want them to go like, Oh, they're going to want it off all the time. So how should someone approach that when asked that in an interview?
0: Well, I don't think, I think that if, if I, in my opinion, don't bring it up unless they ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell them you're, tell them you're available, fully available. <laughs> To, at, at the at the forefront um the thing is they need you you know i know there's an abundance of of actors in los angeles and new york but uh, in the end they need quality waiters at their restaurant to give good service yes they need dependable ones too so i think that. Just go in there, tell them you're fully available. Don't bring up the fact that you'll need off for certain things, and you know, get be be upfront with your availability. If you if you just want to work nights because you want off during a two audition, then just say I'm only available nights and go mm-hmm. in there. You know, be upfront about it. I think that's the best for the best way to go about it. Right now, you mentioned
2: earlier making connections, meeting people, especially at your job how do you go about networking when you're working and networking when you're on a play to not seem like, Hey, I want to use you to increase my career.
0: Well, I would, I, I would never, ever. um, I don't think when you first meet someone, you ask for anything. I think if you develop, I think if you develop a rapport with someone, um, then it might be okay to bring up the subject of something you might be interested in doing. I'll give you uh, an amazing example of, um, of that. I was a waiter at a high end uh, steakhouse in Mid- midtown Manhattan for years. And Mark Wahlberg became a regular of mine because he was shooting a movie and living at a hotel across the street. And he, uh, he, I, you know, in the back of my mind, of course, I know this is a person that could help me. He's a, he's a big time producer now. He's producing many different TV shows. You know, it didn't, I would never ever be like, Hey Mark, could you hook me up? You know, like (laughs) that, you know, he probably, you know, asked for me to not be his waiter. again. Could you please leave? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I, I think, you know, I, I never would have even asked him until I went home from work after serving him one day and I opened up you know, a newspaper and I saw my friend who I had studied with for years at acting school uh, in a picture with him in a scene in a film that he was doing called the other guys. And um, luckily enough, he came in the next day <laughs> and I Said to him, Hey, my friend, uh, so-and-so is working on your film with you. And he's like, Oh, I love her. You know, how do you know her? And we got into talking about how I was, in acting school with her and don't we've worked together so many times. And that was that. And I didn't say anything again. And then the next time he came in, I served him again and they asked me, Oh, how's your friend? You know, how's your friend doing? I'm like, good, good. I told them that I served you, you know? And I was like, Yeah, so things are really – they're like, that's great. And so they started asking me about myself. And I said, yeah, I've been auditioning here and there. Actually, I've been trying to get in for Boardwalk Empire that he was producing. And he's like, I'll get you in for that. And he referred me to the casting director. Oh, that's awesome. And I spoke with her in her office. And it's so funny because I never even got an audition for the show she was casting, but in turn she liked me and she referred me to another casting director that she used to work with. And I auditioned for shows through her. And then the assistant of that casting director became the biggest Netflix casting director later on. And I auditioned for her and I booked roles. Like I got a role on Luke Cage because of that. Like, because of a relationship that I formed years back with Mark Wahlberg, it's, it, you know, I think that just build a rapport with people before you even ask. I don't think we should go ahead and ask back right. to your original question. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, welcome back. Michael here. Uh, Finally, after hearing some of uh, Daniel and Jason chatting uh, for the past while, but what an amazing conversation. And I loved this kind of cliffhanger that we left off on, of not letting others' criticism about your work throw you, but to let it push you to prove them wrong. I absolutely love that. Now, here is my person who I'm going to prove wrong, Daniel Tuttle. (laughs) About
2: what? Life. <laughs> there is no hustle. You're wrong. You're <laughs> so wrong. This whole podcast is a lie. This has all been one big con. We've, all, we've each taken and played uh, turns being the characters in this podcast. Like Ashley Mary Nunez does not really exist. <laughs> Jason it's, Altman it's just, was just me. It's just you on the other line. That's why you are quote unquote at work. <laughs>
1: I love this crazy idea of, like, the biggest podcon ever. But,
2: like, also, how talented are we that <laughs> we can be all these different characters?
1: Listeners, I want to hear your thoughts on this hashtag podcon.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, here, Here's what I hear. If you think, uh, if if Michael and I were playing these parts, what, car- what guests have we had do you think we would each play? So who do you think, like... Ashley Mary Nunez would be. <laughs> Who do you think? You know, ta- Izzy Coffee. Yeah, Izzy Coffee would be. Would it be me or Michael playing that part? I yes. want to hear from you guys. Hashtag HustleCon. Hashtag- uh let's hope that's a thing one day that would be awesome <laughs> that would be amazing welcome to be- hustle god yes it's like an entrepreneurial like thing. podcast meets entrepreneurship yeah
1: but you know we're here today again like this well, in is in person like this is three, amazing three episodes now in i love that you don't
2: have time to do it on hangouts anymore because we get to do it in person yeah
1: like <laughs> daniel i really can't chat hangouts i can't do it i can't but i can meet i with can you be in person, person. yeah exactly no uh how are you doing man
2: man i I'm good. Uh, the, the work stuff is still pushing on. i I got offered that job at Morgan Creek Productions on yes. Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, when she called me, she uh, said, "I hope he didn't scare you off, and uh, yeah, that's also I think another red flag to this.
1: <laughs> and then you're like,
2: he did. he did. um <laughs> no, I, I told her, you know, and, and this is something I want to talk about is you know turning down jobs professionally because and I even text Michael, like I'm not one to turn down a job. If somebody offers me a gig or a job, if it makes sense for me, I'll take it. And so it was very, I was very anxiety ridden Mm -hmm. when I was letting this job down because I don't have a job and I'm turning down a set paycheck. Yeah. And so when she called, I basically, you know, I didn't know what I was going to say when the phone rang and I I met, I didn't answer the first time she called. I called her back because I was like, I don't, I don't know what to say yet. To like be like, I went through these interviews and I don't want the job. <laughs> and so it took a second. And so finally, I, I called her back and she offered me the job. And and basically, I told her, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking over the last few days and talking to my wife and and some of my friends. And I really kind of decided that I want to look for a job that's more down the path of the career I want. And my end goal is to either be a showrunner or executive producer for television. Uh, and movies down the road. And so I I don't, I uh, really thinking about this job, I didn't think that would be that next step towards that.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not the creative field that you're looking in. It'd it'd be more
2: administrative. Absolutely. And so even though there may be opportunities to tip my, you know, dip my toes into that world um, while doing this job,
1: it wouldn't be my main focus and immersion for learning. Sure. Well, with this last temp, job that you've been having at Mar Vista, mm-hmm. you've been doing more of that admin stuff and which has been great and it's led you to building relationships, right. but I think it kind of gave you a taste of that side. But
2: even for that, I was actually in meetings. I was involved in a lot of discussions yeah. and so and, and, and I felt more a part of the team mm-hmm. and so I felt like I was able to absorb more things, whereas with this, I just didn't feel like that would be the case. And so I told her, and also somebody recently told me that to not waste my creative energy on things that are not beneficial to my creative energy yeah and and i was like i would be my creative and regular energy would be spent from this job Mm -hmm. i have a feeling so i I nicely and politely turned it down Told her i hope her and i can work in another aspect of the career industry down the road maybe yeah but um you know and and she was very nice about it and and i hung up and i was like oh my god (laughs) like (laughs) just so anxiety ridden. but i did it it's done um, and so I'm still unemployed. And she was like, no,
1: we need you no, here.
2: Please don't make me do this again. yeah Don't make me tell him. Um, and then uh, another thing I've been working on, you know, I, I've talked recently about like putting a schedule together uh, for my daily routines. And one of the things I really started thinking about is how can I make my side hustles like the podcast and, and screenwriting and job searching be, feel more like a job? So I can feel like get in that work mode Mm -hmm. instead of just feeling like I'm just doing a hobby so I can stop whenever
1: I want. Right. Like I'm not just at home hanging out.
2: Yeah. And so I was like, how can I make this feel more like a job? Because I don't have an office to go to. I don't have an office in my house. And one of the things I kind of came up with was like getting dressed for work. And so this last week, starting on Thursday, I kind of started this realization halfway through the week. And on Thursday, I actually started and I, I got up. I took a shower and after I took I worked out I came back and I got dressed in like nice shirt, pants and I went to a coffee shop and I sat there and I and I actually felt like I'm going to work. I'm mm-hmm. going to a job and I'm going to get stuff done. And have like goals and fin- finality conclusions to things. And, mm-hmm. and so that felt really good. And I think that's something I'm gonna to try to continue is just, you know, they say dress for the job you want and like, mm-hmm. you know, things like
1: that. So I'm, I'm gonna try to do that and see if that helps well, and, feel that more. You know, I know you've been an actor and, in the past as well. And it, so often will that costume inform oh, how costume, you
2: feel? Costumes always make me feel so different when I'm acting. Yeah, it's, like they're, like,
1: me. you know, even just like, a suit wearing a suit makes you walk differently makes you feel different so you stand a little straighter yeah yeah you know and so if you're trying to create this energy this um, invitation to the universe of like hey i'm dressing up i'm getting ready for work i'm going out there right here i come world yeah (laughs) now all of a sudden Someone walks up to you like, hey, you look like you need a job. I do. All right. You're with me. Come on. And a parade starts. We're going to we create long. new show business together. <laughs> We're creating new Hollywood. Yeah. We're creating HustleCon. Oh, gosh.
2: Um, but yeah. So that, that really helps. So I'm trying to do some more of that. But, uh, and then also I'm trying to revamp my resume a little bit as well. Um, I sent my resume into for like a free review from like a resume company. And one, nice. of, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I got was that my resume doesn't have a lot of result-based wording. And mm-hmm. so instead of, you know, a lot of people just when they write a resume, write like the stuff they did, which is action-based wording, mm-hmm. instead of because I did this, profits rose by 30%. And so from what it, this thing read was that the systems that companies use to analyze resumes, those systems look for those action based words mm-hmm. of thirty percent, profit, uh, things like that, which, since a lot of my jobs has not been obviously in finance, I can't put profit stuff. I haven't done that, but you know, finding ways like, you know, uh, uh, meeting uh, scheduling errors has dr- dropped by twenty percent, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that where. You can just, you create a language to show like, because I did this, this happened. Right. And so I'm working a lot on doing that. So there's a little resume. <laughs> uh, resume <laughs> tutorial, tips. Resume tips.
1: Honestly, I'd love to do a mini episode one of these days of like meeting with a career person or whatever, like. I don't know, someone to kind of give advice on, you know, if this is the career that you want Mm. here, let's talk about some of the structural things you can do. There's a
2: podcast I listened to recently where it was a TV writer and one of her first jobs here in Hollywood was writing resumes for people. She was a professional resume resume writer, Mm -hmm. and so uh, if uh, if we can get her on, (laughs) yes, right, (laughs) we'll talk to her. So, uh, but yeah, that's that's been kind of my week. How about you, man? What's we we? I feel like we haven't talked a lot this week, which is weird for us. Yeah,
1: it's really weird because I mean, so for new listeners, uh, my survival job is I actually work in an internal medicine office. So get it, survival medicine. Ha ha. Boo. boo. no. So I've been working there for the past six years and recent job updates, things have happened where I'm now working for two separate doctors. One is a brand new doctor in our practice and I am solely her front desk while I'm working for my other doctor in the same capacity that I've been the past five years. It was a doctor. It was another doctor. <laughs> doctor, 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 doctor. Um, But this week was just a really intense week. Like I I've, I'm now working full time, but like I think I work like 50 hours or something Monday through Friday. Uh, I've been pulling like nine, ten hour days, and it, it's really interesting because I'm someone that, regardless of the project, if I'm there, I'll give it my all, and that's starting to happen with this job a little bit, but in a way that like isn't feeling good Mm -hmm. in a way like i'm there so late into the day like everyone else has gone except for the doctors and stuff and just because there's a ton of work that i need to do so um it was a challenging week but i started bringing back some healthy routines going back to the gym starting to eat better uh been checking in with my dad as well how's Uh, he doing he's doing so good good like he this week kept sending me pictures of like the salads that he's making for himself. Like my brother messaged me like, Hey man, remember how long it would take dad to set up his plate for dinner. Now it's that just making salad. (laughs) And, and also like he got an exercise bike this week. And so, you know, and he'd been checking in with me throughout the week and stuff. So like that's doing, it's great to hear him
2: being very proactive about his health. Super,
1: super proactive. And like, again, all benefit, like, all thank yous to Karen, uh, my girlfriend, or her fiance. Uh, How much does she charge? Is she... <laughs> we, we can talk about after Sorry, the podcast. But are you a manager? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> For AK Gym. Uh, AK lifestyle. Uh, but, so that's been great. But I've also noticed some unhealthy routines kind of coming into my life a little bit. And it's more so just, like, the interpersonal. Like, we haven't talked much this week. And that happens when you're busy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't you know. Hate no. You for it, no, like, and, and I would be like, like, Hey man, super busy. Can't talk busy. Help me. Daniel, Daniel, you know, it's bad when you make a joke and then I don't respond for like <laughs> three hours.
2: <laughs> or, or like, I think I wrote you one something at like 11 at, in the morning and didn't hear
1: it to like the next day. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, man, he must've been busy. <laughs> oh yes. Um, <laughs> but like also you know i've had a couple audition opportunities present themselves uh one of which that i shared here on the podcast but i don't know why i'm trying to figure out what that reason is but like i just forgot to respond to them i i just didn't reach out to say hey i'm not able to do this right now is there another time like mm-hmm. so i'm going to this weekend write some messages not expecting them to be like, great, you can audition for me, but just to let them know, acknowledge like, hey, I'm sorry that this mess up. I hope you have uh, success in this project or something. But
2: I think, you know, I, I have the same issue a lot mm-hmm. of times as responding to like, oh, I need to respond to that. And then I don't get to it yeah. for like a week. And something that I know, like Angie's really good at, my wife is really good at, is... Right, making like very detailed to do list. So if there's an email she needs to respond to, if nothing, if she doesn't do it right, then she'll write it down. Like need to respond to this person, mm-hmm. and she checks that like every day. Yeah, and that's something I've I've really tried to be better about as well. <laughs> and and so I I don't know if that would help. It yeah, is maybe when those things come up, is just like make a note somewhere, and that you become a routine of checking of everything. Yeah, you know? no, and even
1: Gmail's added this new feature where if someone sent a message to you and you haven't responded within a couple days it'll have like a reminder next to the message like this was sent to you do you need to respond oh that's cool yeah um so there's that feature um even like in terms of meditation and stuff my headspace app has now got a consistent notification of like stop swiping we know what you're doing (laughs) Huh? What? 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 Huh? <laughs> Man, even the apps know. So, <laughs> jerks. I, I think the big learn for me this week is like, okay, I've acknowledged it. Now it's there's something to do about it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, there's that. Um, more wedding ideas, conversations, and Woo-woo. stuff with me and Anna Karen. We got a, a list uh, from a wedding planner that we met with last mm. weekend. Uh, so, we have a lot of information nice. to look over. Cost is the, yeah. you know, yeah the it's it's hard to look at everything and see the cost, so I right. yeah. remember you can always have a nice
2: wedding for not so much, yes, so that's what I keep reminding myself yeah, so. Don't don't push yourselves to have a a lavish wedding, but push yourselves to have a heartfelt wedding,
1: yes, yes, so th- that's been a lot of fun um and then I, w- I don't think it has been. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's stressful. There's, there's been a, some there's arguments. There's fun part to it. Yeah. There's
2: fun, but there's it's like a m- mashup of yeah. fun and I
1: stress. I mean, the big part is is like we love this wedding planner. He's really great and right. we know he has our best interests in mind, so right, right, that's cool. But what's really exciting is and, you know, take take with a grain of salt, but there's rumblings right now that we're going to have another comeback performance of Met again. Yeah. Potentially I'm excited. That's exciting. It's, it's exciting though, because I love this play as our listeners know well. Um, So it'd be wonderful to get back into the rehearsal space mm-hmm. again and just start working on the show. Everybody, everybody on board still. Yeah. All everyone's right. on board. We're getting the band back together and back together, bro. Yeah. So um, that's, that's been great. So that's awesome, man. Some ups. Yeah. Some downs. You got to take the ups when you can get them, man. Take yeah. the wins. Oh, my gosh. And so speaking of needing ups, needing some su- some inspiration. Inspiration. It's time. One of my favorite parts here in the podcast is our hustle support statements. Uh, these are as much statements for you and I, Daniel, as they are for our listeners. But this is a chance for, for us sure. to give you, our listener, um, some inspiration that will help you go through your, the week, help add to your journey, maybe give you some more tools to your uh, toolbox, mm-hmm. as uh, Jason Altman talked about in his <laughs> uh, interview, give you some more techniques. Um, so I'll, I'll start off. Speaking of toolbox. Speaking of toolbox, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll go first. Go ahead. Um, Now, while I wasn't there during the recording of this interview, my heart sung when Jason discussed the importance of training in one's craft. Whether you're an actor listening to this podcast or a writer, designer, a business owner, educating yourself is important. I've worked in internal medicine now for six years, and I can tell you that doctors and nurses are required to go back to school or attend conferences to learn updates in the field of medicine every couple of years. Just because they've received their licenses and degrees doesn't mean that they have become masters of their field. They understand that to be a master of your craft, you have to live the life of a student. Be curious, not complacent. Be open to knowledge and other experiences and not closed off. Does training cost money? Of course, and believe me, I know it can be hard. Uh, Trying to find the funds to fund your passion. As Daniel shared in the interview, I completed the first year of Meisner training last year, And I can't put into words how much value I took from that class, not just as an actor, but as a person. It cost me over $300 a month. Was that hard? Absolutely. Was I cutting corners and figuring out how I'd pay rent that month? Definitely. But I can tell you that during those nine months, I've never felt more alive and present in my art. I was living and breathing my passion, uh, what I came down here to do. Was I auditioning for the top executives of today? Maybe not. But tomorrow? Only time will tell, but all this is to say you will grow so much when you can accept that you don't know all that there is to know about yourself and your craft. but if you can put yourself in a space that can positively nurture you and add to your toolbox of techniques, then not only will you fall more in love with your passion, but that passion will turn into confidence and you will be so glad you took that step so true
2: i I, I remember uh, and I think I mentioned this in the interview with Jason just talking to you through those nine months. And it was fascinating to hear your ups and downs during that time. um, The, the victories and, 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 and the struggles and feeling my back pressed against the wall. (laughs) But but what was so great was like, even through it though. And I think this is overall, just such a great thing is hearing the moments of struggle and then hearing the victory. Yes. And, and going, I did it. I, I, I nailed it today. And, 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 That always made me like feel really good for you because I knew how important this was to you. Mm -hmm. And but also like as you talked about it, like when it got to like the ninth month, you talked so much more about it with confidence than from the beginning. So it was just so fun to like hear that journey. Oh
1: yeah. Like looking back on the first six weeks of the training, I was so, you know, one side or the other, one foot in, one foot out. But once I just finally like jumped into it and accepted that I don't know everything there is to know about acting. I have a degree, so what? These people are inspiring and like so much better than me, so it's time for me to start listening and stuff. And, you know, I there is uh Jason said it, it is a 2-year program that is uh true for all Meisner schools. So I eventually want to go back for that second year. I mean, fortunately, this year that training kind of led into this play and I've got a wedding to plan for and stuff, but you know, it, it showed me how important training is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also just ended our series with Shelly um, the episode before this one. And voiceover is something I would love to get into. And it's, there's nothing like just going into a class where you're not trying to impress anyone. You just go in and you accept that everyone else is in your same position. So just go and learn. But um, what do you have uh, for this week, man, for your hustle support statement?
2: One of the things I see a lot of young and talented creatives struggle with is detaching themselves from their art. They consume critiques personally into their emotional core when in actuality, a critique, for the most part, will never be a personal indictment of you and who you are and your talent. It's hard when someone has dedicated their life to a craft and put in, hopefully, hours working in a craft where you are the keeper of the talent, the the story, the character, or the music. You become personally attached to your work. It becomes a part of you. So when someone critiques your work, it's like they're critiquing you personally, and that can be hard. It's important to be able to separate yourself from your work or the products of your work. As the work comes out on paper or camera, you let it become its own separate being so that you can take criticism and notes on the product of your talent in a way that becomes more educational for you than personal. I will say on the other side, when critiquing, it's important to give well-thought-out critiques that come from a place of improvement, not insulting. For me, it is always important to always only offer critiques if I have either a solution or a reason that I can explain where my critique comes, in, comes from in regards to the final product. If you point out something that does not work, you need to explain why it doesn't work or how for you it did not work. Giving kind, well-thought-out criticisms that come from a place of love and support should always be accepted and appreciated. If someone takes any critiques personally or begins to defend themselves over a critique, do not engage in a debate. You have said your piece, and it's up to them to decide if they want to make any changes. Critiques are hard, but necessary. So if you can become someone who embraces criticism, yearns for notes on your work, and can decipher between the helpful and the unhelpful, all while putting the product first... You will always be following Michael's suggestion and continuing to learn and
1: evolve. Ooh. They they go hand in hand this week. <laughs> I, I realized that as I was, I was like, oh yeah, hey, you kinda tell us? let me just I'll throw that in yeah, there. You go. No, I mean I think that is so true. And I mean, I I will say, like, sometimes I've taken criticisms too personally but then you just I have, have to i've been there too yeah you yeah. know and, and, and those test you and stuff and then like as jason altman said in the interview that just gives you fuel to like prove them wrong and and you know we, we've talked about it where you know it's this is such a different career
2: because the product that we sell are us yeah
1: we are the product yeah we're the we're, yeah.
2: we're the we're the service we're the product we know, your your talent your your ability to uh, um in, embrace a character and, and become that character, my ability to put pen to paper and, and, and bring to life a world, it's, it's from us. And so it's really hard to not take that personally. Yeah, for, for someone to you. say like,
1: I don't like that character as a writer, you're like, that's an extension that's of who extension, I am. Yeah, and
2: same with the character. If they're yeah. like, I don't like how you play that character, they're saying, I don't like you. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's really easy to kind of entwine yourself with your product. And if you can step back and go, they're talking about the product. They're not talking about me. Now, I'm not saying there's always going to be people that are not doing that. There's probably going to be some people that are jerks and are just saying it to be mean, and I'm sorry. But, hopefully, but on the other side is if you're giving critiques and someone does start defending themselves, know that you can't change their minds. They, 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 if they start defending themselves and like, well, no, this is how it's supposed to be, then they've made their decision, and you're not going to change their mind. And so getting into a debate and an argument is just it's not beneficial to anybody. And so give a critique, offer why. You know, I I try to be very careful when I offer critiques to to let people know, like, I think this doesn't work because A, B and C and maybe try B, D and E instead and 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 they take it they take it if not they don't and i'm fine with that but if they start getting defensive about it then i'm like all right cool if that's
1: how what do you want to do you go ahead man. yeah in my class uh it would be it was specific like after you were done with your scene you as the actor weren't allowed to like talk back like if you know the the instructor or whatever had a note to give Mm -hmm. you can't like go and defend that it's like no just listen just listen well i yeah. i, I feel like you may have had
2: this when you were in school, but when any any kind of theatrical stuff I did in school college or otherwise, the response you always just were supposed to have when someone gives you when your teacher or your director gives you a critique is thank you yeah don't defend it, don't say anything just thank you take it
1: mm-hmm. and you move on yeah you 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 take whatever little nugget you can from what they said and then you go go with it yeah
2: again it's it's all about learning to learning to yearn for information yeah. and knowledge and education yeah, and and who knows maybe that doesn't work for this but then maybe you learn something for the future.
1: Yeah but what did you guys learn this week from what Jason Altman? Learn? What did you Tell learn? Tell us what you learned. What con are you planning? <laughs> Podcon it's happening. Ocean's 11 podcast. <laughs> podcast 11. <laughs> podcast 11. Yeah that sounds like a bad news like channel. Oh my gosh but we would love to hear what you guys learned this week. Uh, you can reach out to us on social media on Twitter we are at LA Hustlecast and on Instagram Instagram and Facebook we are at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. Um of course, please reach out to our guest this uh, for this week and next week Jason Altman on Twitter he is at altman jason that's a l t m a n j a s o n or on Instagram he is at j altman 25 um, or you can also check out his website altmanactor.com. Also, if you want to send us an email, like if you want to record a, an update on your own hustle or you have a thought about what you heard today on the show, you can always send those recordings or your messages to us via email. We are at hollywoodhustlepodcast at com. Now, after the recording today, Daniel and I are actually going to be meeting and starting to strategize and plan. And all those things about season three—it's coming up here, folks. So we are going to start planning that, and we would love to hear from you, our listeners. Whether you just started with us or you've been with us since the beginning, uh, you are so essential to this podcast, and we would really love to hear about um, maybe certain guests. If you—if there's a guest that you know whose hustle needs to be shared, let us know. Or if there's a career type that you haven't heard yet on the podcast. Or want to hear more of. Oh, uh, Or want to hear more of. Let us know. You guys are kind of like the wind to our sails. You're ch- helping steer us in terms of where to go on this wonderful path. Are you trying path. to say
2: that the wind beneath our wings?
1: That one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Phrases. Um, but yes, we would love to hear from you guys. Again, our email is hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com.
2: And you can also follow Michael and I. Michael is... At Michael Lutheran. On all social medias. And I am at Daniel Tuttle, T-U-T-T-E-L, on all social medias. Yes. Uh, Now, we know that you guys are busy we're busy, you heard how busy Michael is Uh-oh. and sometimes we just don't have the opportunity to listen to an hour to an hour and a half episode of any podcast and so it's always nice when certain podcasts are a little shorter, like 15 minutes, 10 minutes and so we decided to start putting out every Monday smaller versions of our episodes called Side Hustles. Michael does an amazing job of picking out the really great meaty parts of the episodes and the interviews and he puts together a fantastic episode with him running the show of just these different parts of the interview just to give you some inspiration to start your week on mondays and if you don't have to lessen time to listen to the full interview on tuesdays you get at least a piece of it on mondays so check out the side hustles every monday and to make sure you always get notified when those are up or for them to automatically download into your itunes or stitcher radio or iheart radio make sure you subscribe to the podcast and if you have a second and you love what you're listening to and you don't have enough uh characters on twitter to leave us some love share all your thoughts on itunes Leave us a review. We hope five stars, but it always (laughs) helps to get us more uh, presented on iTunes so more people can find us.
1: Yes. And also, if you've been listening to us for a long while or if you really feel like you're gaining value from the show and you're sharing our episodes on social media, you're bringing friends into our community, we love you and thank you so much for that. But if you want to You know, if you're thinking is there any other way you can help support the production of this show uh, please consider maybe uh, giving us a one time or recurring donation if you go to our website hollywoodhustlepodcast.com and you scroll on the bottom of our homepage you'll see a PayPal button that you can click on and you can help set up a one time or a monthly donation it's all up to you Um, any amount goes to the direct production of this podcast Uh, we're working a lot here you know I'm working over 50 hours a week right now Daniel's trying to find a job. So we got to still make this podcast happen and any amount that you give will be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, guys. Again, that's HollywoodHustlePodcast.com
2: And next week, I finish up my discussion with Jason Altman as we discuss the meat of his profession. Jason shares his way of approaching characters on and off stage, how one should handle themselves on set, his role of Herman on Orange is the New Black, and of course, Jason becomes the next contestant to play the MySpace quiz. Do not miss this emotional look of seeing your hard work begin to pay off and learn more about Jason's positive and
1: passionate outlook on his career and his future. Thank you, so much, Daniel, for joining me today for an exciting outro discussion. It's, it's good
2: to talk to you for a, a regular conversation, <laughs> right? It's nice.
1: It's nice. quote unquote regular conversation. <laughs> uh, we always talk with
2: mics in front of us.
1: <laughs> That's the only time it's we just, talk.
2: It's just a consistent. We feel weird if there's not a mic. In front exactly, of us.
1: like this meeting that we're about to go have has to be done the way of and, the podcast. And remember, let us
2: know. Uh, out of our guests who you think michael would play if we were conning everyone and we were pretending to play these characters and who you think i would play me daniel we i would love just to hear that yeah i think it would be fantastic and i
1: think maybe let's just go with hashtag con the hustle or i like
2: hashtag hashtag hustle con
1: yeah Mm -hmm. let let, send us your thoughts on twitter or instagram hashtag hustle con (laughs) we're also open to fan art
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh my god if you send fan art i would love you forever
1: forever (laughs) awesome well thank you guys so much for joining us for episode 67 oh man of the Hollywood Hustle Podcast have an amazing week remember to always continue to learn Um, think about maybe a new class that you want to take to help uh, build to your uh, tool chest of techniques and always remember guys to keep Keep up up the hustle hustle.
2: yay whee like a slide whistle
1: (laughs) I know
0: Uh, using my imagination, I would say, as I mentioned, my my siblings and I, we would put on shows in our living room, Uh, New York ambulance going by. Sorry about that.
2: Oh, I'm just, I'm waiting for the LA uh, ambulances to go by.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, um...